Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Hello and welcome back to our series in James. I trust that you've been walking in the spirit-filled wisdom of God by allowing him to love you and equip you to love others well. I pray that all of us have considered the humility required to honor God as we approach him and align ourselves with who he is. Today we're looking at James chapter 5 verses 1 through 6 where James explicitly addresses those who love their wealth or are favoring the wealthy. He calls them out for their sake and for the sake of the honor of God and the love of others. It's an intense address to them specifically to repent. We've journeyed through the partnership of faith and works, considering the power of the tongue as it relates to speaking and teaching the truth of God concerning what saving faith is. Specifically, that the relationship between faith and works is simply that since we are saved by Christ, it doesn't make sense that we wouldn't be like him. James has taught us that since you believe that you are saved by Christ, we should show evidence of this. James's letter has instructed us in true religion and worship by loving others through being like Christ. That Christ-like love demonstrates that we have been truly changed by Christ. And responding to God in true faith through right belief produces right actions that are not like the world. We have considered how James helps his readers love by addressing their greed and materialism, their anger, ungodly speech, and discrimination against others through prejudiced attitudes and actions. They struggled to love one another in Christ and in accurate truth. So let's continue to consider the importance of surrendering to God's power and sovereignty amidst true repentance by learning from the example of those who love their wealth above loving God and loving people. Repentance continues to be the issue at hand as James nears the end of his letter. Let's look in today's text. James 5, verses 1 through 6 says, Come now, you rich, weep and cry aloud over the miseries that are coming on you. Your riches have rotted and your clothing has become moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you. It will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have hoarded treasure. Look, The pay you have held back from the workers who mowed your fields cries out against you. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the lords of heaven's armies. You have lived indulgently and luxuriously on the earth. You have fattened your heart in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, although he does not resist you. Now it's clear that James is calling on the rich in particular to repent of their ungodly attitudes and actions. So let's define what repentance is before we dive into the specific things they need to repent over. First, repentance is required for salvation in that it, like faith, is exercised by the individual expressing faith in Jesus Christ and is enacted by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is John 16, verses 5 through 11. Peter preached to unbelieving Israel that they must repent so their sins would be wiped away in Acts 3, verse 19. Repentance means to think differently about oneself and the Almighty God and His Savior than one used to think. For example, because of the rejection of Jesus, 
they could not rightly see their sin before God. They had to change their thinking and believe he was the Messiah and accept the act of grace God offers. Repentance isn't just feeling bad about your sin or simply turning away from evil. These are the result of repentance. Repentance is the actual change of one's thinking that results in the forgiveness of sin and leads to holiness, both of which are enacted and sustained by God. Our thinking moves from being in disagreement to agreement with God and all that He has declared as true and good. In the case of salvation and sanctification, we adopt the same view of sin and holiness that God Himself has declared as truth. Consequently, repentance is the result of faith in the Christian life. We change our thinking to align with that of God through sincere belief. Second, an important aspect to be considered with repentance is confession. Confession is related to faith and repentance in that it articulates precisely what believers are putting their faith in and changing their thinking to, specifically admitting sin and guilt before God. Paul speaks of a common confession that believers shared in the early church. Early Christians believed that Jesus was human, that he was sinless, that he was sent by the Father and worshipped in the heavens as divine, that his message was announced in the form of the gospel and accepted by the world. He died, was resurrected, and now lives forever in heaven. This is evident in 1 Timothy 3 verse 16. It was a professed belief in the truth about Jesus Christ. Furthermore, if we confess with our words that Jesus is Christ and believe in our hearts that he conquered death through his resurrection, we shall be saved, according to Romans 10 verse 9. It is therefore natural that if early Christians believed all this about Jesus, that they also would follow him and his commands. In both 1 Timothy 3 and Romans 10, the Greek word used for confess indicates acknowledgement without contesting. In fact, in Acts 2, Verses 37 to 41, thousands received the word of confession of their message and agreement with God. In fact, they warned the crowd that if they failed to repent and have their sins wiped away, the consequence of rejecting and not agreeing with the message of Christ sent from God would be judgment through destruction. These things are important for salvation and for living a life of Christ-likeness in our journey of sanctification and growth. Similarly, I think James expects the rich here to repent and agree with what he has presented as truth about God's character and nature. However, his exhortation of repentance comes with a warning of judgment should they fail to do so. They simply don't align with God. In fact, their repentance is necessary in order for them to have the ability to actually love others the way that James has called them to. So what is it that they need to repent over? What is it that they need to turn away from and confess? They are called to repent of the following sins. Number one, the idolatry of wealth. Number two, defrauding those who work for them. And three, the abuse of others who are poor. The love and idolatry of their wealth leads to serious issues like unkindness, anger, injustice, and discrimination against others because it simply consumes the desires, motivation, and affection that is designed for other things. The love of wealth actually leads to not loving others. Sounds pretty simple, but it's profound. They have taken advantage of their workers and condemned and murdered those who are righteous before God. They've treated others with injustice. 
The natural consequence of loving wealth is in fact the dissatisfaction and unfulfillment in our relationship with God and with others. Plainly speaking, it simply hijacks our identity and consumes our ability to function productively through loving and caring for others. Now, why does this happen? I think it's because God has deemed humans and relationships as more valuable than temporal wealth. Furthermore, I think it is worth noting that it is not only the rich that are being addressed here, but anyone who lets wealth become a priority. His message is for everyone. You don't have to have a large bank account to idolize wealth. Allowing covetousness, envy, and corruption into your own life that leads to the devaluing and abuse of others. He views kindness, charity, and love as more valuable than status and achievement and even personal comfort that are attached to wealth. These are the qualities and conditions of the eternal kingdom of God. In a very real sense, a love for wealth can actually cause us to dehumanize others. We rationalize that the intrinsic image-bearing value and design simply isn't enough that the basis in which we value others is more focused on what they can achieve or what material possessions they have, and maybe how we can benefit from them. It's a corrupt cycle. James levels a very serious accusation against the rich as he points out that they have defrauded those who work for them. How could a wealthy person withhold small amounts of wages owed to poor people who work for them who've actually helped build that wealth? Would they really miss the money? Isn't wealth supposed to be a sign of hard work and high character? It's not really about the amount of money they owe to their workers. Rather, it's about their own arrogance in which their love of money leads to in thinking they're better than those who don't have it. They've devalued those who work for them, leading to defrauding them. It's not just unkind. It's dishonest and also a form of theft. In the case of our text, the cries of those they've taken advantage of condemn them before God. They have misused their blessings and failed to image bear in a godly manner. Again, Jesus has some very strong words to say about loving wealth. In Matthew 6, verses 24 to 25, Jesus simply says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Verse 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't there more to life than food and more to the body than clothing? Jesus is clearly identifying the problem of a divided heart and trying to serve two masters. Why would you love one and hate or resent the other in this case? They are fundamentally opposed to each other. This causes frustration and exasperation and discontentment. There will always be conflict within the heart of the worshiper who tries to worship two gods. In the context, Jesus continues to point out that his disciples must trust his heavenly Father to supply their needs. If God has provided for nature like the flowers and the birds, then how much more will he care for those he loves who follow him? Jesus' point here is profound. It's profound in that it's not just about simply trusting God. Rather, it's a pursuit and worship of wealth that will not allow one to pursue and worship God. 
It's really about the affections and focus of one's life that will determine what they think and feel and do. And it will always be in accordance with the object worshipped. If our focus is on God, then we will pursue what is important to Him. If our focus is on wealth, then we will pursue what is important to the world and how it uses it. But it simply can't be two opposing things at the same time. Furthermore, Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 to 21, Jesus tells the following parable. The land of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, and he reasoned to himself, saying, What should I do? For I do not have anywhere I can gather in my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and I will gather in there all my grain and possessions. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many possessions stored up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, celebrate. But God said to him, Fool, this night your life is demanded from you, and the things which you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who stores up treasure for himself and who is not rich towards God. In the parable, the wealthy man's great mistake isn't building bigger storehouses for his abundance. Rather, it is that he thought his soul would be satisfied through it. Spiritually speaking, the human soul is the concept we use to seat the supernatural reality of worship and the immaterial. Remember what James has said about pure religion and what worship is. It's taking care of the widow and orphan, loving others out of our abundance. Being like God is the thing that will satisfy our souls through rightly worshiping Him and not lifeless and powerless things that can't last. The rich man in this parable will perish because he's worshiping the wrong thing, and it ends up condemning him, for Jesus says just before the parable in verse 15, Watch out and guard yourself from all types of greed because one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. This can be compared with what James says about their wealth rotting and going to waste. When the rich man in the parable dies, he takes nothing with him, and it ends up condemning him as well. So how do we serve others out of our abundance? Do we have storehouses of resources in our time, talent, and treasure that we simply use to acquire more for ourselves, or to simply live more comfortably? Can one truly know God and be satisfied in Him if we love wealth like this? James doesn't think so. In fact, it doesn't just cause greed, it breeds the abuse and defrauding of others. The rich man in the parable didn't just build bigger storehouses, he built an altar to worship his wealth upon. Furthermore, this type of wickedness indicates a serious question if, if these particular individuals in the context of James are truly saved. I'm unsure and I think we should be very cautious about counting fruit and others to determine if they're truly saved. However, given the greater context of the book of James and these particular verses in chapter 5, there seems to be a legitimate question in James's mind. How could justified children of light produce such wicked fruit? James is warning them of their judgment in a manner that is reserved for the condemned, which is an indicator. Furthermore, Jesus said in Matthew 19, verses 23 to 26, after the rich young ruler went away sad, I tell you the truth, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Again, I say it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. The disciples were greatly astonished when they heard this and said, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and, and replied, This is impossible for mere humans, but for God all things are possible. Again, the lesson is quite clear that one who truly worships something else can't be free to worship God and serve him freely. Although the rich young ruler isn't nearly as wicked as the wealthy in our text, Jesus' statement is still staggering, that it will be difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why is this true? Because the worship of wealth presents them from truly knowing and following God. We should take serious inventory in our own lives regarding this area as well. Do we worship wealth and comfort? Do we worship abundance and getting the next biggest and brightest thing? Do we allow the status that wealth deceives us with to consume our hearts and guide our actions? May we not be naive as Western Christians and believe that we could never struggle the way James's audience has. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit Emmaus.edu slash partner.